Welcome to another episode of NeuroSpicy Pod Pal. I'm Carrie. I'm doing okay today. I think I'm feeling kind of the dark green. I didn't sleep very well last night, but I am excited to talk about what we're going to be sharing uh, today. Children, they are in most people's lives and they are loud and they are illogical and that can be really hard for a lot of neurodivergent people, myself included. So I'm going to be sharing everything that I have learned over the past five years of having small children in my life and I hope that this can be helpful for you. If it is, please share, please rate the pod because I would love for my work to be heard because that's why I'm putting it out there, right? So let's dive in. Thank you so much. I did not grow up with younger siblings or cousins. My first exposure to children was babysitting as a teenager, but it was never for long stretches of time, and the nature of the situation allowed me to brace myself for the chaos and noise kids can bring. My first nibbling arrived five years ago, and was soon followed by two more. Now I have three nieces from one sibling, and a nephew due next month from another sibling. My nieces and I live just a few minutes apart, and I saw them almost every day, even before I started nannying them full-time this summer. Simultaneously managing the needs and desires of three tiny humans often feels like waiting on six hangry tables, even when I'm not overstimulated. I'm grateful I didn't grow up around babies, because I wouldn't have had the emotional and sensory tools I have now. And I think that would have resulted in me hating kids. If you weren't so lucky and do have trauma with kids, I'm sorry. I would recommend a good therapist who does internal family systems therapy. That model has been extremely helpful for me with every kind of issue that I walk into therapy with. So therapy is the first thing I recommend for being around children. Learning and practicing healthy coping mechanisms for stress, acknowledging and grieving the ways I was let down as a kid, and learning how to reparent my inner child has been massively helpful in my relationship with the little ones in my life. I've felt my capacity for patience, kindness, and the sheer amount of time I can handle being around my nieces grow as I've worked on myself. But emotional stuff is not the only reason why being around kids can be triggering. Part of having ADHD and or autism is a neurological difficulty in processing sensory stimuli. Noises that are merely annoying to neurotypical people send your body into fight-or-flight mode. Textures that others experience without a second thought grade on you like nails on a chalkboard. The more information that your physical senses are taking in, sight, sound, smell, touch, taste, the less time it takes for your body to shut down from overwhelm. When I'm badly overstimulated, my body acts like I'm having a panic attack. I'm too weak to stand and have too much trouble breathing to speak. My body shakes, my vision goes blurry, my limbs go numb, Not being able to see or breathe is scary, but besides that, I'm emotionally fine. My body is just responding to the trauma of too much sensory input. We call this sensory overload. The symptoms of sensory overload are bountiful. 
a sharp increase in irritability, anxiety, sudden rage, suddenly feeling like you want to cry for no apparent reason, feeling like you're in a dream because your brain decided to disassociate in order to cope, not wanting to speak, craving solitude because you're really craving a decrease in sensory input, wanting to take off all your clothes, wanting to step out of your body entirely, wanting to stop existing. I used to watch my family eat across the dinner table and feel full body, nauseating disgust and rage. At the time, I assumed that was a reflection on them, right? But now I know it was because of... Because of the clinking of the metal utensils against China and the thunk of utensils and cups being put down on the table and the high-pitched scrape of forks and spoons against teeth, and the creaking of chairs as people leaned back and forth, and the dog's claws tapping on the floor as he hunts for scraps, and the fan whirring, and the refrigerator rumbling, and the incessant skin-crawling chewing. (sighs) If, If you're in that kind of headspace, and you have children pawing at your body and being illogical, you're not gonna be nice. So, so what do you do? You can't stop kids from crying or clinging to you. They need your help no matter what kind of headspace you're in. My answer, my solution, is sensory regulation tools and the self-awareness to pull them out before your nervous system gets highly dysregulated when possible. First, your clothing. This is fabric that is touching you almost 24-7. You need it to be comfortable. For me, the softer the better. And I know that I'm more likely to get overstimulated the farther along in my day I am. So even if I'm fine with a slightly coarse fabric in the moment when I'm dressing in the morning, I don't go with that one. I choose what feels in that moment like an extra soft fabric, because I want to still be comfortable in my clothes by the end of the day, especially on the days I'm with kids. I also need to be aware of the environment I'm going into. If there's a possibility we're going to be playing in grass, I need long pants or long socks because grass is scratchy. If the house I'm going to has carpet or a couch I don't like the feeling of, and they don't have a soft blanket I can use, I'm going to bring a soft jacket to sit on. And of course, when I'm with kids, the less jewelry, the better sadly, both so they don't break it and because it's more stimuli on my skin that's going to wear me down throughout the day. It's all about cleaning out the unnecessary sensory stimuli because caring for and playing with children eats up every ounce of capacity for that I naturally have. Next, we have what's in the purse or bag of your choice. I have long hair that sometimes gets irritating, so I got a hair tie. I live in a dry climate, and itchy, dry skin is the worst, so I got lotion. I got fidget toys, but I don't normally need those around kids because I'm playing with their toys. And I got a toothbrush and toothpaste because my mouth feeling gross is absolutely an unnecessary sensory experience. Next, I got two types of glasses, both marketed for people with migraines. One pair has darker shades, I use them outside like sunglasses, and the other pair is rose-colored. 
I usually use them inside whenever visual stimuli is getting overwhelming. The rose-colored glasses are my favorite because they don't darken everything and make it hard to see at night like sunglasses do, but they do take the edge off the brightness. Just look up glasses for migraines or go to the link in the description. I'll share what I use. Last and perhaps most important of all, I keep an assortment of ear protectors in my purse. If you're on neurodivergent social media, you've probably gotten ads for Loops or a similar brand of earplugs. I'm not sponsored by Loops. They're just the only earplug brand I've tried, so I'm going to tell you what I've learned. I've bought four different kinds of Loops and found two helpful. The Experience and Experience Plus are not helpful to me, though I keep them around because they have helped out my less sensitive friends when we're in loud environments. However, the Engage and Quiet Loops I use pretty much every day. They are very aptly named. I've found the Quiet earplugs are best for reading and sleeping because they're powerful and extremely comfortable but they do amplify the noise of my movements as as naturally happens with earplugs. So I need to be still and quiet in order for them to be useful. The Engage earplugs are best for all my other activities because while they're not as quieting as the quiet, they're designed to dim noise while prioritizing other people's voices while keeping my voice at a tolerable volume. In my experience, Wearing loops will not help if you are already overstimulated, but they are a great preventative measure and may help keep you stable if you feel yourself tipping towards overstimulation. If you were not able to prevent yourself from getting overstimulated, such as when a kid suddenly throws a loud tantrum and you were required to hold them as they cried directly in your ear, this is what I do. As soon as I'm physically able... I grab my Dr. Meter earmuffs. Earmuffs are the over-the-ear things you see construction workers and autistic kids wearing. I honestly procrastinated buying a pair for a long time, telling myself I wasn't neurodivergent enough to need some, and people would judge me, yada yada yada. But oh my freaking gosh, they are the purchase I am most grateful for in the last year. They have been life-changing. Now, I don't need to ask the kids to lower their voices when they're just excitedly playing. I can hold a crying baby without wanting to cry myself. I can relax enough to sleep on airplanes. I can spend as long as I want in thrift stores despite the screeching of hangers. I can enjoy the bass as I party to loud music in the car without getting overwhelmed by the volume. And (laughs) I've discovered a cheap DIY. Noise-canceling headphones are all a rage, but they can be pricey, right? So I put in my average cheap earbuds and then my earmuffs over them. And (laughs) what do you know? I got noise-canceling headphones. I love my earmuffs so much. I bought my nieces their own pairs with unicorns and dinosaurs on them. Though my pair does fit them, which is cool. It's very adjustable. Again, link is in the description. In in conclusion, if I could only choose one sensory tool, it would be earmuffs.
Lastly, I want to talk about behavioral ways of regulating your nervous system around kids. You've probably heard of stimming, but in case not, Google defines it as, quote, the repetitive performance of certain physical movements or vocalizations as a form of behavior by persons with autism or other neurodevelopmental conditions. It's short for self-stimulation. This behavior is thought to serve a variety of functions, such as calming and expression of feelings, unquote. So, flapping my hands, spinning, uh, rocking back and forth, repetitive singing, stroking my hair or a pet, these are just a few forms of stimming. Fortunately, stimming is very easy to do around kids because they're doing it a lot too. As we grow up, we're taught which stims are socially acceptable and which aren't. But little kids aren't so judgmental. So I stim away to my heart's content around my kiddos, and it helps soothe my nervous system and just makes me happy. And they get to see an adult who isn't stiff and boring. Now, one of the ways my psyche sometimes copes with overstimulation is shutting down my inclination and sometimes ability to speak. In extreme times, I can't even form words mentally, which means texting is a struggle as well. I'm still trying to understand the reasons behind this phenomenon, but I've found that when my body calls for it, not speaking really does help me feel better. Now, you may have noticed that I I just phrased that like being nonverbal is a choice. For me, it often is, which is a huge privilege. As painful and overwhelming as it can be, I can almost always force myself to speak if necessary. That's not the case for many people. So don't assume that someone is choosing to be silent if you see them wearing a nonverbal pin. However, if they do have a choice and they are choosing silence, that's okay. I've learned that I don't have to force myself to speak all the time. It may be inconvenient, but it's not hurting anyone. And it's absolutely helping me. Loving friends and family accept me when I'm quiet. I just say, text, or sign that I'm going to be nonverbal or semi-verbal for a time. And with practice, they're getting used to including and communicating with me regardless. The kids in my life actually have to adjust the least because they're used to communicating with limited speech. They or their baby siblings are still learning spoken language. And they're curious little bugs, so they're loving the sign language I'm teaching them. If I'm the adult in charge, I still need to speak a little, but just telling the kids when I need to be quiet helps so much. I whisper what I need to say and use "Mm mm-hmm instead of yes, and honestly, they seem to enjoy it. Kids are naturally a bit self-involved and are often happy to chatter away uninterrupted. Plus, my example has actually allowed my nieces to have nonverbal time when they want it too. They'll say, I need quiet time. And I'm like, okay, would you like to be alone too? And they'll nod or shake their head, and if they don't want to be alone, we'll just keep on playing. So as weird as they may think you're being at first, In the long run, kids are most comfortable with the grown-ups who are unapologetically themselves and welcome everybody else being weird too. You are doing everyone a favor by practicing sensory regulation. That's all for today. Rate the podcast if you learned something. 
keep tuning in with yourself. Love you, babes. Peace out from your Neuros by C-Pod pal. <laughs>